everyone. Welcome to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. I am your host, Christopher Starr. And on this episode, we have our fearless leader, Michael Bearhands Brand, back on again. It's been a while. Him and I are going to jump on and I'm going to ask him some questions about a little bit of big game hunting. And then we get into the business a little bit of it because the bats are back. And so bats are kind of heavy on the mind. If you guys haven't subscribed, please do so. That would be really awesome as well as leave us a five-star review. It really does help out the podcast. Thanks again for downloading it. Let's jump into the episode. Michael, it feels like it's been a month, but it's only been like a week and a half, maybe? It's been, no, it's been more than two weeks. It's been, what? It's been a minute. Yeah. Because I did uh, that thing and then last, then another thing. And so it's been a thing thing. But I'm excited to be here this morning. Yeah, absolutely. So a question that's kind of stumped me, at least to just kind of start this off, and I vaguely know your answer. But in Nevada, I have three points, or no, I have two points in the upcoming draw. I'll have three because they count your current application as a point for buck mule deer. And so what that means is as a resident, I will, and because I'm an archery hunter, I have the ability to draw almost any unit that I want. But I really don't want to, you know? So that's like early August or like the month of August is the hunting, is the archery season. For mule deer bucks, I have, I mean, I'm kind of answering my own question, but so I have almost no desire to go and do that hunt. It's a fun hunt. It's interesting, you know, uh, velvet, big velvet muley bucks are cool, but I just don't have the desire to put time away, A, from work and B, that would possibly get taken away from like my time off, let's say, from elk hunting. And so those are my decisions or my wishes. But then like the whole of the hunting community would be so mad at me, as if that affects me at all, if I skipped what I would do is just buy a point, right? And skip the draw this year. But because I'm in this in the position that I'm I am that people would kill for. It's like, dude, you're a resident in Nevada and you could go archery hunt mule deer because it's like, it's really, really high quality in this state. But I just don't want to. So I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. Well, of course, that was a really long question. But the answer was in the (laughs) beginning of your question is that you just didn't have the desire to. And I can tell you from experience on anything in life, if you don't have that burning desire, especially if you're going to pursue an animal, if you don't have that burning mm-hmm. desire to get it, you're not going to get nothing. So you're just going to waste your waste your time out in the woods. You really will, you know, because psychologically, you'll be thinking about, oh man, it's August, bat season. Oh man, how many how many bat yeah. in- inspections am I am I passing up? And then and then your mind will start going. Oh man, it's hot and there's flies all over me and I'm probably not even going to see a muley and they probably already smelled me coming when I walked over the crest of this this little hill right here. All those things start popping in your head when you don't have like this burning, passionate desire to get out there and pursue the animal. And the same thing happens in our industry, you know? 
I see operators all the time post online where they're like, oh, I just can't seem to catch this, whatever. And you can tell it's because they don't have like this burning passion to actually get that animal. It's like that animal is the one that is creating this homeowner's problems and turmoil and all this trauma in their life. And if you don't have the burning passion to catch that animal, then you'll probably just throw a trap out there and you hope you get something to walk into it, you know? So, I mean, just listen, just from the very opening of, of what you were telling me, I, hands down, I wouldn't go. It's going to be a miserable trip. You just wouldn't enjoy it. And you're not going to get a, a muley either. So I would just hold on to the point. I'd submit for the draw. Yeah. You know, buy the draw, buy the point, whatever you got to do, however it works on that. And just rack your points because who knows, two years from now, you got two people. I could be stoked for it. Yeah two, yeah. two years from now, you have two people in Sacramento working underneath you. And you might have this great lead on this particular plot. What do they call the, the parcels? A, a good unit, maybe. Unit, yeah, yeah. Units, you know. So you might have a hot lead in a good unit. Somebody else may have tipped you off or somebody else may decide they want to take you and set you up for success because they like you or whatever. And you've got two people that are helping you in Sacramento. And and all of a sudden, you go from 2022 when you're like, meh. And then you're in 2024 and you're like, <laughs> damn, I can't wait to get out there. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened. We're going to have guaranteed success. You never have guaranteed success, but you know what I mean. Some yeah. Somebody's going to stack the odds in your favor. And then you'll be hot to trot. And sure enough, you'll go out there. You'll enjoy the whole trip. It doesn't matter how many flies, mosquitoes, deer fly bite you. You'll be excited to be out there and having your blood sucked by them. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> big old buck. You can see his velvet horns coming around the edge of that rock outcropping. And you're just drawn back tense. And whew, let that arrow fly. And then you chase that sucker for 300 yards. No, not 300 yards. Because <laughs> you shot it too high in the lungs. No, 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 no. Another two years of me shooting, man, I will be, I'm already deadly, but I'll be even more deadly by then. Come on. I don't know. I watch Meat Eater all the time, and I see Steve. Dude, missing. You want to talk about some missing? Although this year, are you caught up? No, I'm not caught up. I just watch oh, it intermittently. Well, he actually does... He does decent this year. <laughs> I, I think he purposely edits that stuff in just to remain humble and also just to let everybody know that it is not always perfect. Well, dude, I mean, he'll tell you he is not an archery hunter. Like, he's a gun hunter, you know? And I know what you mean because I follow Meat Eater pretty decently. Man, he is, uh, he is not a good shot. <laughs> but I don't know. He's... I can't talk crap about him too much because he puts himself out there. Yeah, because I, I'll guarantee you he's a better shot than the two people on this podcast. Guarantee Not it. archery. Uh-uh. Yes, guarantee nope. it. I guarantee you that he's a better shot than the two people on this podcast right now. No, I'd put myself up against him 100%. No way. Hell no. I would outshoot him any day of the week. All right. That sounds like a pretty serious challenge. You hear that, Steve? Steve, if any of your people are listening to this, Chris wants to challenge you. This would be a good opportunity to see this play out. You know, Steve, take, please, Steve, take Chris on an elk hunt and let's see who places the best shot. 
you know? Oh, geez. No, no, no. It would be like, uh, so what we would do to make it a more even competition is we both show up to a total archery challenge. Um, so it's a company that rents out like a ski resort in the middle of summer. And then they put these 3D targets all around up on the range up there, basically, you know, up at the tops of the mountains. And so it simu- kind of simulates hunting in that you're hiking your butt off and you have to shoot at all these weird, wonky, uneven, long distances on animal targets. And so you're able to simulate a little bit, you know, a smidgen of, of the craziness that comes in with a hunt. And dude, last tack, I shot. Amazing, if I do say so myself. <laughs> okay. Well, you did, you just did say so yourself. So, you know, I, did. I can only I can only believe you. Come at me, Steve. Let's let's have a shoot off at one of the tacks. He wouldn't go, dude. Come on. He's not an archer. He's a gun hunter. And so when I went on that cow hunt and I took, you know, I harvested that cow with a rifle. That was pretty nice. I got to say, I got to say that was nice. And, you know, a couple episodes ago, I recapped on my antelope hunt, archery antelope hunt in Nevada last year. If I was using a rifle, I could have killed 10 times over versus the zero that I did because of distance, you know, but you don't bow hunt because it's easy. I don't know. I'm all, I'm all hot to trot for this because, so we're, we're recording this on a Friday. Tomorrow is the turkey season opener. Yep. And I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Calling a gobbler in is always exciting. Oh, dude. Or getting one to even pay attention to you and show up is mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, I'm going to, I have a couple of, uh, tried and true areas, but I, I kind of want to be kind of want to cut my teeth on a new area where I've seen them in the past, but I've never hunted it for some reason. I just haven't. And it's like on my way to the place where I fly my Falcon. It's like halfway there. And it's this big strip of woods along this Creek. <laughs> I know the Turkey hunters out there are like, what money? Hello. You know, the, a strip of woods along a Creek that's surrounded by big fields on both sides. That's as Turkey as it gets, especially for out West. So I'm going to give that a try. I'm probably going to go tonight, right, at sunset and try and strike one up, see if it'll gobble, put it to roost, you know, put him to bed, and then come back tomorrow morning when it's dark, get in there and get set up with some decoys and my bow and see if I can kill me a gobbler. You will. I know you will. It'll be a, oh, it'll be a good hunt. But, you know, like anything, preparation is the key, you know, having good preparation knowing where you're going to put your resources and preparing for it. That makes all the difference in the world, in everything, in everything that you do. Yeah, and so this year's fall hunting season resources, aka my time, basically, I would much rather put towards elk versus, you know, meal deer. So that's probably the route I'm going to go. You know, you made a good point. Like in two years, you know, it could be all hot to trot for that. And by then, you know, five points, I could draw the absolute best unit in all of Nevada for archery. And I could go on like a truly world-class hunt. And you know, every year situations change, you know, not only the terrain or the population, but also who you know and what information you have about a particular plot. And Cole's fitness level so he could come with me and yeah. film it. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> what? Come on. 
don't know about any of that kind of stuff. You know, we're not trying to start up another meat eater YouTube channel. Why don't we start with you getting some great footage of some hawk rescues? That's that's what I want to see. You know. Oh, dude, we haven't had we haven't had a hawk rescue call in a month. It's like anything else, you know. Everything around your life and everything around Sacramento has been tailored to what you want to do and how you respond to stuff. And so, you know, if there's things that you don't particularly care to do, like when was the last time you caught a ground squirrel in Sacramento? Oh, well, they, so even though it's so temperate, they straight up hibernate in the winter here. They just started coming out in the last two weeks. Like literally two days ago, I thought to myself, oh, hey, look, there's a ground squirrel. It's awake. If you compare Sacramento to Albuquerque, I mean, mm-hmm. Albuquerque, we're, we're out there catching rock squirrels all the time. California ground squirrels in, in Sacramento, we just don't have that many calls because it's not high on the priority of animals to pursue. The skunk thing is just because nobody else will go do it. And so they always end up in our plate. We don't have any advertising much for skunks in Sacramento. We don't. I, I spend no money on advertising skunks in Sacramento. The problem is because of the laws in California, there's just not a lot of companies that want to even touch or deal with skunks. And so what happens is customers start calling and they just call numbers. They call other companies. And then all of a sudden it flows into us and we will go do it. Sarah Karengo, absolutely. We Chris will trap your skunks and smell for a week for you. I don't know why you always smell so bad. Yeah, skunks don't spray me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just messing. But man, since the advent of dude, you know, it's like you think, man, I wish I would have invested in Bitcoin. Man, I wish I would have thought of the tube trap. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that is that is a good trap. But you know, everybody's doing it now and everybody's doing one now. And so I'm just not in that whole sector of discovering things, developing things, and then trying to retail it. You know, I just don't even like that sector of, of economy. None at all. I like resolving problems. I've always felt that if you resolve people's problems, you'll be rewarded accordingly. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're doing a podcast or a YouTube channel or a wildlife company. If you're resolving people's problems, people will pay attention and people will reward you accordingly. Especially if you can come up with unique resolutions for people that other people can't. You know, That's one of the really rewarding things for me personally in this industry, in this business is resolving people's problems, you know, especially when we come into problems that are very unique and different. Of course, you know, you would think after 100 years of trapping animals that there wouldn't be anything unique and different, but you always run into stuff that's crazy, you know, things that are unique and interesting and animals do things in such a way that you're like, how in the world did they accomplish that? Yeah, it's not often that comes up anymore, but every so often. Did you see that video I posted the other day about the raccoon in that blue dumpster? Yeah. I mean, wasn't that unique where, I mean, that raccoon was like sitting there. I mean, he knew that somehow this board would get him out of this dumpster. He had a hard time maneuver, maneuvering it, you know, and manipulating it. But eventually it fell into the, to the right space, the right slot. And he was able to gingerly climb out and get out of that dumpster on his own. You know, I've, I've had a couple of people different 
people telling me, say, wow, that raccoon's really, really smart. And I was like, well, not in a cognitive type of way. The raccoon just had this hunch and he just kept doing it and kept doing it, kept failing until eventually he won. And, and so that's not really smart. That raccoon was just tenacious. <laughs> he just kept at it. <laughs> you know, He didn't take his failures and pout in the corner and go, oh, I mean, there's a whole life lesson just in that little blue dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Drawing any parallels to life? I wonder if I showed that video to uh, Gary Vanderchuk, if he would like come up with the same parallels, you know? No, nah, man. I want to go see Gary in Las Vegas. He's going to be in Las Vegas in, in May. Dude, speaking of Las Vegas, so I'm wondering, have you ever had your finger on the pulse of marketing in Vegas? Well, I always keep my finger on the pulse of that. And what is it like in the winter? Is it still strong? Las Vegas and Reno are very, very much alike. The only difference... Yes. As far as calls go? Yeah. Very, very, very much alike. The only difference is that Reno has more varied terrain. And so there are squirrel species and, and things of that nature. Las Vegas is much newer construction than Reno. So I'll tell you what it's like. It's like this. You know how St. Louis has a lot of older construction? Kansas City has a lot of newer construction? Those two cities, St. Louis and Kansas City, are almost mirror when you talk about demographics and population and terrain. However, the construction's much different. Kansas City is a brand new city compared to St. Louis, which is a really old city. And so, same thing with Reno and Las Vegas. Demographically, they are almost mirrors of each other. They have the same number of people, same populations. However, they have much, much different constructions. So, there's two things that are going to play in Las Vegas. One is the population never dwindles like Reno. Uh, In case your listeners didn't know, in Reno, Nevada, in the wintertime, the population, people, they leave. They leave their vacation homes and they head back to the big cities where they have their real homes. So the population of Reno shrinks in the wintertime and it grows in the spring. Las Vegas doesn't do that at all. Las Vegas has a much larger homeless population than Reno does. Reno has their share, but Las Vegas has a lot more. But the other big thing, I think, about the difference between Reno and Las Vegas is that Las Vegas, that core business in Las Vegas is going to be mostly pigeons and snakes. And the snakes in the wintertime in Las Vegas, they go dormant, but the pigeons never go dormant. As a matter of fact, the pigeons breed in the wintertime versus the summer. The summer in Las Vegas is too hot for pigeons to successfully hatch their young. So the pigeons typically will start breeding in the early fall, and then they breed all through the wintertime, and then they pretty much cut off, kind of curtail their breeding, or their successful hatches anyway, about June. Because, baby, it get hot in Las Vegas. I ain't kidding you. Triple digit temperatures in Las Vegas constantly. And I think it starts just about early June and then it goes all the way through September for a fact. 
it's a hot, hot city, which is great for bats because the bats are like, woohoo, thank you. The problem is there's no water. So the bat population is there, but they survive almost solely off swim pools. Like, you know. <laughs> there's that many. So, I mean, think about it. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I can only imagine like half of all Las Vegas houses probably have swimming pools. Oh, well, I'll tell you, when you're flying into Las Vegas, just turquoise blue spots everywhere, you know? It like makes up part of this. I really don't have a good grasp on the exact number, but almost every new home that's being built in any of these subdivisions, they've all got pools. Man. They've all got pools and they've all got pagodas or gondolas or whatever those those uh, <laughs> little structures are called. Pergolas. Pergolas. There you go. So, Michael, we've talked about the Vegas office before and the possibility of us putting a person there. And I know that uh, one of the guys in St. Louis has expressed interest in wanting to do that. Um, what do you think the possibility is of that happening like at the end of this year after our busy bat season? Because Vegas, the seasons are kind of flipped for when they breed. What do you think of that happening this year? Not this fall, no. Anytime you've got a business, you try to plan as best you can for how things are going to play out, you know? And if everybody participates to the best of the ability in the plan, then you can make fairly good decisions on where you're going to go, where you're going to grow. But this year, kind of shit hit the fan and three people didn't participate with the plan. Well, technically four, but one of them I already knew was not going to participate with the plan. You know, so we ended up losing three people in one month. And, yeah. you know, it took 12 months just to get two of those people up to speed. And it took three years to get the other one up to speed. And so <laughs> you've got to look at, from a business owner, I've got to look at replacing those bodies with people that are capable, but not only capable, but willing to move forward, grow and advance. So it's not going to be this fall, not a chance, you know, man. Okay. I gotcha. It would probably be the next at the soonest. So who knows? But I, you know, right now we're struggling because we don't have enough people in St. Louis to facilitate the number of back calls that we've got coming in on a regular basis. You know, as a matter of fact, we're having to make a business decision this year that is really grinding down and prioritizing these calls. You know, whenever we get calls for moles and groundhogs and skunks and armadillos, those are really low priority. And then when people call in that have bats, rats, and snakes, those are very high priority, you know? We, we just don't have enough people. We suddenly just don't have enough people to handle the call volume that we're getting. You've always run into unique situations, and you got to be able to dance with it if you're going to be able to come out on top of it, you know? Yeah. If you don't, if you try to remain rigid, you will snap. Got to be able to bend, you know? Yeah, that's it. And I'll tell you, in business, you've got to be able to dance. If, if you're not good at dancing, then you're going to step all over toes and you're going to end up just looking like a fool. If you're able to take the blow, to take the punch, 
let them get out of position so that you can step over and step into position, then you're going to win. It goes with a lot of things in life in general. You know, I always find that people that are just so set in their ways, that are just so set in stone that their way is the only way, those people either just don't grow very much or they end up losing everything, you know, because they just can't seem to adapt and adopt new ideas, you know, adapt to new situations, Mm -hmm. figure out exactly what's happening around them and adjust. And that's a big part of it. You know, take, for example, the big brown bat. Just saw an article this morning about, about white nose syndrome and how it's decimating certain species of bats and has decimated certain species of bats. But they were talking particularly about the uh, Indiana bat and how it refuses to adapt. Keeps going back to the caverns where the white nose is present and the bats are just dying off. White nose syndrome is a fungus, everybody, that affects bats in cold, damp environments. Yes, white nose, the fungus needs a very cold, wet, damp environment, very much like the caverns that bats like to hibernate in over winter. And so it does two things, really. It grows around their nose because there's moist, warm air coming out of there. And it's a moist area on the bat. And it's just like the worst case of athlete's foot that you've ever got, except for there's white fungus growing on it. And so what it does is it keeps the bat slightly awake and it doesn't get into that deep hibernated state. Mm -hmm. And then it also forces them to exit the cavern early when it's still cold outside. And so they burn up all their fat reserves and they die. The other way it kills them is it just basically suffocates them. Like the fungus grows at such a rate that it just ends up suffocating them and they, they die in the thing. But my point was this. The big brown bat has learned to adapt and it is feeling that biological vacuum left by the little brown bat in my area. And the little brown bat has completely disappeared. I didn't even find not one little brown bat last year and certainly didn't find a colony. Is it from white nose or? All white nose. It's all from white nose. And uh, the fungus has just killed them off. But here's what the big brown bat has done because the species as a whole has adapted and they've learned and they've changed their behaviors to survive. So big brown bats, typically they used to overwinter in Tennessee. They would follow the mighty Mississippi down and they'd curve off and they'd, they would overwinter in caverns in, in Tennessee. Some of them, however, would overwinter in structures, man-made structures in St. Louis. And mm-hmm. so what, it, what we find happening and now, and th- last year it was prevalent. This year it's very prevalent. But all the bats that would continue to go down to the caverns, they would get this white nose fungus and they would not make the return trip because they would die. All of the bats that would overwinter in structures would not get the white nose syndrome, would not get the fungus, or the fungus couldn't grow because they're staying in structures that are warm and dry. And so, The bats that overwintered in structures would have more bats in the structures. Those adult bats would teach the young bats, oh no, don't don't follow your instincts, don't fly down there, stay here. (laughs) And so what's happened is 
The ones that stay in the structures, when they emerge for the spring, they survive, but there's more resources available for them because of all the bats that died. And so now the structure bats are going to fill that whole niche, basically. Yeah. And so every year we're seeing more and more and more populations growing, growing, growing of bats that are overwintering in structures. Oh, darn. And that creates more <laughs> human versus bat conflict, which is what we resolve. And so if you resolve people's problems, they reward you. And so because of this, we are doing more and more bat work on a regular basis. And there's something like 1.75 million homes in St. Louis area. And we can only bat proof 30 to 40 to 50 a year. So divide 1.75 million by 50. And you can tell how many years we're going to have business. Not to mention every year they build more homes. Another thing we saw last year is that the big brown bats were moving into new construction. I see that here all the time. Yeah. And so it's going to be a problem that's going to be persistent. It's going to be every year. And so every year we're going to resolve one family. We're going to resolve their problem. And we'll just keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. You know, we've only got so many days during the summer to work, you know, because we really don't do that much in the wintertime. We don't want to do it. We shouldn't do it. But, you know, it's all about perceptions when it comes to bat work. A bat colony could be in somebody's house for years, but no one ever knew it was there. And then one, one year, a bat gets in the house. They call Wildlife Command Center. Wildlife Command Center comes out and captures the bat and does a complete inspection. Upon that complete inspection, we find that there's a very large colony of bats in the structure somewhere and that there's a lot of bat poop up in the attic space. And they'll tell us, we've never had bats before. And we'll look at this <laughs> 10 years Giant. of bat poop yeah. and go, well, maybe you did. And they were just quiet. You know, you just didn't hear them. They fly at night. They don't make a ton of noise, which is a really good reason why people should have their homes inspected for wildlife on a regular basis. Sometimes you just don't know. You don't know. And and how many people climb up in their attic space? Dude, I haven't even climbed in my own. I didn't climb in mine last year. Of course, when <laughs> I bought the house, Bonnie was here for like three days and she goes, something's in the attic. I'm like, no, it's not. I did a complete inspection on this house. There's nothing in the attic. I can hear it. There's something in the attic. I was like, no, there's nothing in the attic. All right, I'll go look. Three bats in the attic. <laughs> I'm like, how does she hear three bats in the attic? They don't even make any noise. Three. Three bats. There was three bats. But yeah, adapt and change. Adapt to change. You got to do it. The animals that do, including humans, are more successful. The animals that don't go extinct. All righty, guys. On that note, we're going to wrap this puppy up nice and tight. Put a bow on this sucker. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to the Wildlife Command Center podcast with myself and Michael Bearhands Baran. If you could please subscribe if you haven't already and then give us an awesome five-star review. It really does help out the podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Until next time. Have a good one. And if you need wildlife issues resolved, give Wildlife Command Center a call. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good day. God bless. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, aka Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus, download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.